You are listening to CGSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting out of Calgary, Alberta, at the University of Calgary campus radio station, located on Treaty 7 land. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to Keeping Green Podcast on CJSW 90.9 FM with your host, Cullen. That is me. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm very excited to talk about the topic tonight. Just a little back casting last month, actually. Oh, my goodness. This is a monthly podcast. We talked about circular economies and sustainable fashion and kind of how those intermingle. Little phone radio with my friend Ainsley introducing the circular economy and things like that. So if you're interested in those topics, make sure to check it out. It'll be on the CGSW website under podcasts. And we just changed our logo, actually. So it's going to be a nice little recycling symbol with kind of the world in the background. So keep an eye out for that one if you're interested on that. And also after, again, you can listen to this episode, if you can't catch all of it, on the same website there. So getting into today's topic, today I want to talk about old growth. So I spent a lot of time last summer in BC's forests and Alberta's forests, and hopefully I'll be able to spend a lot more time this summer as well in them. And it was super interesting. I spent a lot of time out there looking at the trees, taking the ecosystems, and enjoying my time in BC as a native Calgarian. It was super nice to get out of the city. I actually moved to Victoria, so I was on Vancouver Island for a couple months. I think ooh, three? Yeah, dang. Time flies. If any of this sounds familiar to you guys, I was... Uh, interviewed on this podcast by our old host, Emily, who moved to Spain, actually. So I've talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to get a little bit more depth because I think this conversation and this topic are super important. So getting to the topic, old growth. For those who may not know or haven't heard the term or know a little bit about it, but want a little bit more information on it, I pulled up the most trustworthy information source, Wikipedia for definition. An old-growth forest, also termed primary forest, is a forest that has obtained great age without significant disturbance and thereby exhibits unique ecological features that might be classified as a climax community. And to get a little bit more meta with the definitions, a climax community is defined as a historic term for a community of plants, animals, and fungi, which through the process of ecological succession in the development of vegetation in an area over time has reached a steady state. So what does this all mean? Basically... Old growth is a primary growth forest, so a forest that hasn't been disturbed, uh, hasn't been touched, logged, and has very little human interaction, and is in tip-top pristine condition. It's also very old. A lot of the trees can be up to 250 years old in old growth forests, and it also has a very large and balanced ecology to it. So over time, it's taken its time to create a unique ecosystem within this forest with different layers of canopies, hummus, different lichen and a bunch of different animals living in it so it is very balanced when it isn't touched so it has allowed itself to be balanced and it is most productive when there's no interactionism with it and it is pristine and like it was there 250 years ago when the trees first started to grow uh, that are still here today this makes old growth forests very special just because they're so unique there's so much of the planet that has been touched by humans and destroyed unfortunately so these are super special, but what makes them so important? What makes them special? What do they do? Why are they important to us? Why am I making a podcast episode about it? So for me, first thing that comes to mind 
for old growth forests, like forests in general, they're a place for carbon to be sequestered. I'm so sorry to throw so many definitions at you right out of the gate, but carbon sequestration, for those who don't know, is a process of capturing and storing atmospheric carbon dioxide. And this sequestration allows for the forest to be a carbon sink, which is a place that accumulates and stores carbon containing chemicals, which removes the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, like I mentioned earlier. So places like forests and oceans actually are the most productive carbon sink. So oceans normally, and large bodies of water, often have algae on top sitting on the surface, which also goes through this process of taking in carbon and converting it into oxygen. And if this process sounds familiar, you are correct, ding, 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 it is photosynthesis. Alongside oceans, forests do this very well um, as well. They are among the most productive, like I said, with oceans and forests, they are the two most productive, actually. And me, myself, I'm quite fond of breathing, so I do not mind them doing their job as long as I'm doing my job to protect these places. Another thing that is super important about old growth forests and as well forests in general, but old growth forests are very good at it, is the biodiversity that is held within the multi-layer canopy. So this multi-layer canopy acts as, like I mentioned earlier, a bunch of different ecosystems combined in the old growth forest. Um, and biodiversity is so important because with different species interacting with each other and breeding and all this stuff, it allows for more diversity, which means that these animals, plants, and fungi all are more prepared to battle different diseases and infections that wouldn't wipe out the entire species. Where compared to a place with little biodiversity, um, the sickness would cause an entire species to be wiped out, therefore throwing off the whole equilibrium of the ecosystem as a whole, which is super scary, and we don't want that. And a lot of times this happens when areas are forested, which I'll get into a little bit more uh, later in this episode. But when they cut down all these trees, they replant in monocultures or slightly variations uh, of trees, which allows for the sickness, like I said, to come in and wipe them out if that does happen. More negative effects, but again, get into those later. Another amazing thing that I love about old growth forests are they act as a way to retain water and humidity. So with this water and humidity being lost, if the forest was cut down, or pruned, these areas would be even more prone to starting and being a part of the increasing wildfires we've seen like in BC. There's been a big upstrike, um, and I'm not saying this is the only cause of them, but it is a side effect of old growth being cut down at the rate that it is, um, and these monoculture forests being replanted in their place. And that brings us to the topic that I was hinting at earlier. Hinting is a very soft word for me directly telling you guys <laughs> I was going to talk about it later. So forestry, you guys know what forestry is, but especially with old growth, this is why I kind of want to talk about it more. Large forestry companies are clear-cutting these areas, and clear-cutting being the act of cutting down long, large areas and stripping a whole area of forest in order to sell for lumber. This is obviously a, a billion-dollar industry. If not, no, it's a billion. I was going to say millions, but it's big. <laughs> Houses, use lumber. Everything uses lumber. Look at the cost of houses right now. Crazy. <laughs> that is a whole different subject. That being said, I am a little worried that I'm never going to own a house. Um, still grappling with that, but I'll come to terms with it eventually. Back to the topic at hand. These old growth forests are being cut down and sold. And as mentioned earlier, if we don't do better in protecting these areas with the compounding issues of extreme weather and climate change, we will see an increased amount of forest fires, especially in British Columbia. Um, like how we've seen the last summer and the summer before, 
The fires are getting worse, and we're always so surprised that the fires are becoming more and more frequent and burn with more intensity. Like, oh my god, are these fires getting worse when our actions cause these fires, uh, whether we light the fires ourselves or nature does it because of our influence upon it. Um, I know there are natural forest fires, obviously, but at this rate, how many hundred-year natural disasters are we going to keep seeing every year, uh, which is a little scary and very concerning, actually. Going into the second issue, which I know the first one was very compounded, the second issue with old-growth logging is a lot of it is done on First Nations territory. Most, if not all, I think it's about 95% of the land that makes up BC is unceded traditional First Nations territory. This means that there was no treaty signed. So Indigenous people never ceded or legally signed away their lands to the Crown or Canada. And with this land not being ours to begin with, we are also destroying it to, it seems like, as much as we are physically able to. That being said, there has been some turns in the Indigenous population, slowly getting their land rights back in a bunch of different legal cases. There was a Supreme Court case in 2014, which was the case of the Tsilkotin versus British Columbia. And to break down this case a little bit more for you guys, it was basically started when there was an unsettled land claim and the government of British Columbia allowed clear-cutting on the Tsilkotin nation's land. Um, so they fought back, saying that they had no right to clear-cut this land. And after the end of the court case, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that governments and individuals, whether before or after a declaration of Aboriginal title, have a duty to consult by obtaining consent of the Aboriginal people, and that is a direct quote um, from the final release. So, with that being said, what are the ramifications of this? It is super important and allows for these Indigenous populations and the First Nations communities to reclaim their land and at least have some sort of communication between the forestry companies and the government and themselves. And from what I understand, it means that they don't necessarily get a say uh, for the forestry on their land, but at least they are entitled to some level of communication and transparency between the government and the First Nations communities. And this also allows them to, with this open communication, to kind of trade off sections of land, saying, okay, well, you can clear cut this area, um, but stay away from this area, whether that's old growth or a sacred territory or a section of the territory, and kind of battle it that way. Um, unfortunately, it is not the not the end-all be-all, but it's not definitely the best case scenario, but it's better than nothing. And I think that hopefully this will get more progressive as time passes. Um, we are seeing more land claims come through and more First Nations communities being able to have control, said loosely, control of their lands. And this also allows for them to say, okay, well, here's an area of land and trees. If you leave that, we can use that as a carbon sink, like I mentioned earlier, um, and to get, okay, well, here as a company, you have this area that is sequestering carbon and allowing to offset a little bit of the carbon emissions that they produce, and hopefully that allows them to get more money from the government in funding or have a little bit more net neutral and more kind of sustainable, maybe that might be a little bit greenwashy, but sustainable, quote-unquote, forestry. Alongside this, Canada also adopted something called UNDRIP, which is an acronym standing for United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. 
And this affects loggings as well as other activities that take place on First Nations land. And with the adoption of this, it allows for the government to ensure and provide regulations and outlines and guidelines for practices and make sure that they're followed and that they have the authority to make sure these rules are followed. And if there's no um, or little following of these rules, they have grounds, legal grounds, to kind of push back against that. So with these things being combined with the First Nations communities, um, we are seeing a little bit more communication between the territories and the companies. Even with these laws and these rules and these regulations, we are still seeing forestry companies push for certain areas to be forested and clear-cut. A prime example of this is Ferry Creek, which is a portion on Vancouver Island, the southeast side of the island um, on the Pachidat traditional territory, where there's been a blockade for about, I think, August will be two years of people being camped out of the blockade. So basically what they're trying to do is stop the company of Teal Jones from destroying this area and has kind of turned into the keystone um, main representation of protection of old growth. So they've been there for so long. They've been doing uh, great work, fighting a good fight. I was lucky enough to go down there last summer, like I said, when I was living in Victoria um, and talking to people and seeing the situation firsthand, which was super eye-opening and kind of helped me get into old growth protection and focusing a little bit more on this as well as environmentalism altogether. And honestly, I would say now more than ever, we are seeing an increase of social disobedience and defiance for the protection of old growth. Like I mentioned, Ferry Creek, which is a collection of camps and road blockades as a way of protecting high productivity old growth. And the cool thing about Ferry Creek also is it has some of the last high productivity old growth on the island, which means it's a super good carbon sink. It's super productive in what it does which is why it makes it that much more vital and protecting. And I'll get back to social defiance a little bit more in a little bit, but this just came up in my stream of thought, how in the short run these companies that are logging these areas can make a lot of money off of forestry and lumber in the short term, but this is still short-term gain for long-term pain, not really into taking consideration the long-term effects of this and forestry altogether, or I guess not really caring about the effects of these unsustainable logging habits um, and how these will affect our future generations. I know forestry just in general isn't very sustainable. There are examples of sustainable forestry within indigenous practices where they take part of the tree down and let it still grow. Um, and even then, that is kind of the extreme version of sustainable forestry. But a lot of the forestry we're doing now in these areas is something called tree length harvesting. And this is where the trees are cut down, delimbed, and topped um, in the cutover area. So they only take the main trunks of the tree. There are even more sustainable versions of this. Sustainable, I say loosely, but there's full tree harvesting, which is where the trees are felled and transported roadside with branches and the canopy still attacked. And then there is also complete tree harvesting, which is where all the above and below ground biomass of the tree is collected. So that's the roots, the trunks, and the canopy. So whether that be leaves or pine needles and all that stuff is collected and taken back. So using the whole tree rather than taking just a section of the tree and taking that. Okay, so I just looked up and I realized that this tangent has going on for a little bit too long. So I'm going to bring it back all the way around back to social defiance. So we're seeing different organizations pop up um, over the last couple of years like Save Old Growth and Last Stand, which are organizations 
that are taking a stand to end old growth logging as a whole. Um, and a lot of them are doing these through acts of education and activism, as well as I know the the organization, or organization I say loosely, um, their self-proclaimed civil resistance campaign on the Trans-Canada Highway to demand the end of old growth logging. And they do a lot of small blockades along the Trans-Canada Highway as a way to say to the government to stop old growth logging altogether, and also as to educate the public and bring awareness to the topic that is old growth and the protection of old growth. And I think they do amazing work because it fills the gap between the actions of the forestry company and the pushing of policy within government. There's a lot of things that they call talking and logging where they will say, hey, we we are working towards new forestry techniques and more sustainable forestry and protection of these areas. Um, but while they say that, they are still going in and clear-cutting these areas and reaping the rewards of these ecosystems. So I think a lot of these groups and organizations are important because of that fact. And they hold the government more accountable and policymakers more accountable because they aren't able to do this where they, are, they aren't able to just say, okay, well, we're pushing back, um, making progress on these policies because policies take time. There's a lot of red tape and a lot of things around that and levels to get through in order to push policies and, and make new policies. So it's kind of forcing them to focus on these policies and not allowing them to log at the same time. And though some people may disagree with me, I do think it is necessary to do this because they are allowing the system to be played and these organizations and groups of people are kind of playing it back and making sure they're held accountable for these changes and issues. Because at the end of the day, if we keep up what we're doing now in business as usual, all the old growth forests will be gone. And as I've spent the last 20 minutes explaining just how important um, old growth forests are and and what the effects are of them and what happens if they're gone and and kind of the different groups of people they affect and what system they play into. Personally, I believe, I don't know if it's just wishful thinking, but if there is forced accountability, there might be more action from the government in order to protect these areas and stop the logging that they're basically facilitating. They're allowing these forestry companies, and I understand there's a lot, there's economics behind it and other forces. So it's not a super simple situation. But when there is this level of kind of accountability, there will be less or hopefully less destruction of these forests. And hopefully with this accountability, people will understand and the government hopefully will push the narrative that these areas and these special forests and these high productivity ogre forests need to be protected because they are so special and unique. And once we lose them, we can't get them back because they've taken so long to become what they are today that after they get ripped down and, and replanted in these monocultures, it's it's not going to be the same and they're not going to do the same thing and lots of uh, bad things can happen, unfortunately. And I'm very passionate about this because there's nothing like going into the forest and just, I know that sounds crazy, just be like, wander into the woods. Um, but going into the forest and really seeing the beauty of these trees, these like magnificent 
magnificent giants that have been standing here for so long and kind of really puts it into perspective of how long we are on Earth for and how long these ecosystems have been on Earth for and how long these trees have been on Earth for and being able to stand beneath these things and look up 230 feet and higher to the tops of these trees and kind of just admire their beauty. And again, kind of puts it into perspective saying, if we keep up business as usual, these won't be here for long. And even, like I said, with old growth and their effects on the climate and forest fires, like they're predicting that forest fires will increase 25% by 2050 and 75% by 2021 if we don't do anything to protect these old growth forests and honestly the forest as a whole. And honestly, I think it is our duty to protect and preserve these forests um, for future generations and honestly the current generation. And up till now, I've pretty much only solely focused on the ecological repercussions of not protecting and preserving high productivity old growth forests. Um, but there's also kind of a, a tricky psychological aspect of it as well, because we're seeing a lot of higher rates of anxiety within children and people in general about climate change and people trying to guess what their future is going to look like given these changes to our climate. And I know actually there's this one instance of somebody, this one person applying for medically assisted um, death because of anxieties around the change in climate change. So even though that is an extreme example, this still highlights that there's this existence of this eco-anxiety. And I believe I touched base on this last podcast, um, but I know for myself, it's still something you kind of have to trifle with and come to the realization that this is a, a new thing that is emerging. And it can be overwhelming because like, even with this podcast, I was just kind of more focusing on old growth and the effects around old growth. But this is one issue in a grand scheme of ecological degradation and kind of how we need to kind of focus on one issue ourselves and kind of put more effort in. Because if you put your effort into all kind of things across the spectrum, it's it's going to burn you out and you kind of get a little bit overwhelmed with the scope of it all. I also saw the other day that this creator and educator called Nerdy About Nature talk about eco-anxiety and how it's affecting people everywhere. So I believe that comes to the end of my tangent on that. So focusing back in on old growth, there is some misleading data online about how much old growth is truly left in BC. I know the BC government claims on their website that there is that 11.1 million hectares left of old growth, but there was another study done that concluded that there was about 35,000 hectares of forest um, with the largest, most productive old growth trees remaining in BC. So that is a pretty big difference between 1.1 million and 35,000 hectares. And it's interesting just to see what the numbers the government is putting out and what numbers the ecologists and biologists are saying about these numbers. And the study that claims that there is 35,000 hectares left say that the government of BC is pointing more towards the old growth forests and not high productivity old growth forests. And the biggest difference between old growth forests and high productivity old growth forests is that high productivity old growth forests have more of a potential for tree growth, which means that they can grow wider, they can grow taller, and they can grow faster compared to other trees in surrounding old growth forests. And these high productivity old growth forests are the ones we want to be protecting. 
like Fairy Creek and others that have more ability to take in carbon and offset these emissions that we're pumping into them. And it's funny thinking about it because it's almost, in a sense, kind of selfish to be like, oh, well, we want these here. We want them to be in because they can take our carbon and switch it, which is, I mean, it's beneficial for us and beneficial for them. But if you think about it, it's kind of like, well, we want it. That's good for us. And honestly, framing it as that kind of self-interest might help people want to protect it more. So maybe that's a fun little angle to look at it from. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which I swear to gosh, I've said so many times this podcast, I promise I have them written out. I have the bullet points that I want to talk about. And every time I start talking, I get on these tangents. But again, going back to what I mentioned earlier in the podcast, when I said that my time in BC really brought me onto old growth and the the true beauty and the importance of old growth and old trees and forests in general, I think that was a great way to kind of frame myself getting into it. So I urge anybody and everybody to get out into the forest. I know I've talked a lot about BC in this episode, um, but there are tons of forests here in Alberta. If you're on Tree 7, you can go down to Edworthy Park. There's a gorgeous trail uh, down there. I walked it last summer with a couple of very old uh, Douglas firs. I think you should check out the trail near the end. It gets a little gnarly, so be prepared uh, with proper footwear if you're can to do that. Um, but also just walk, look in nature, feel it out. I know that helped me and really like sparked joy and inspiration uh, just from doing that. So with the summer months coming up, and honestly are here, the weather is so nice outside, I would urge you strongly, strongly urge you, um, if I will, to get out there and get involved and immerse yourself into the trees of Alberta and BC, if you can. And if you want to learn more about old growth and stand for old growth and just looking at more beautiful trees, I would recommend following the hashtag old growth on Instagram. It fills your feed up with absolutely amazing, cool trees out of BC and Alberta. So definitely check that one out uh, as well. And just one final note before I close you guys off. I do want to say if you're struggling with eco-anxiety, it is common if you're afraid to seek help out about it. I know it seems so silly that you're like, okay, well, this is the world. Um, But I know like I still, when I'm learning in my studies, um, I'm an environmental science major here at the University of Calgary. And I get sometimes you just get so discouraged because there's so much bad news and bad information about the environment and the state of environment and where things are going. you guys on here for a little bit longer and one of my absolute least favorite things to do is to leave this podcast on a sad and dreary note because that's not what it's about we should be excited about this excited about encouraging protection and how far it's come and in order to recap just a little bit to bring your hopes up um don't be mistaken there is still old growth forests around high productivity old growth forests that are actively being protected by people who are pushing for concrete policy change that aid in the protection and conservation of these special and important areas and like i mentioned before there are things for example, like the Supreme Court case of the Tsilkotin versus British Columbia and how that pushed for new legislation and also UNDRIP and how that has more policies and created more concrete guidelines to ensure that people and organizations and companies are held more accountable for their actions. And this allows for First Nation territories to be reclaimed by the indigenous people that it has always belonged to. 
And furthermore, we are seeing different organizations and groups of people band together for a common goal in order to bring awareness and education and protection to old growth. And they're also putting their lives on hold and at risk and on the line to prevent the logging of these old growth forests. So don't get down, don't get it twisted. There is still hope and people who are actively working towards the protection of these areas. And that comes to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate you taking your time every day to listen to it, to listen to me ramble and rave about old growth and its importance and the ups and the downs and the trials and the tribulations and what people are doing and what the state of the world is in. And I hope you found it a little bit entertaining, slightly educational, and just a good time all around. So I will see you and talk to you. See you. I don't know if I'm going to see you, but I'm definitely going to talk to you next month. Make sure if you like this episode, like I mentioned earlier, check it out on the CJSW 90.9 FM website. So that is CJSW.com. If you go to the main page, there's a little button that says podcast. Click on that in the top left corner. Just kidding. Top right corner. Um, And scroll down until you see Keeping Green. It's going to be a little green square with a recycling symbol inside with the kind of like the background of the earth on it. Click that. You'll be able to listen to this episode, previous episodes, all the way back oh my god there's so many episodes so if you got time on your hands just want to listen to something honestly for me i'm a huge podcast listener i love listening to podcasts make sure to check that out if you want to okay goodbye for real this time Just listen to the CGSW podcast, Keeping Green on 90.9 FM.